Well, thank you for your giving. And would you join me in saying hello to a longtime friend of mine? Would you say hello, Leon? Good morning, CLC. Leon and I have been friends for probably close to 30 years. Uh, one question I have is God wanted me to speak for a living and gave him that voice. So it's not fair. Um, we met uh, when you first attended CLC back in the 90s. Yeah, yes, um, 90s. Didn't quite end the way I thought or hoped it would. <laughs> um, back then, I'd, I'd kind of talked to Leon about coming on staff and uh, NCR and said other plans and moved him on. But uh, Leon, you grew up here in, in Dayton, yes. uh, West Dayton. Tell folks a little bit about your family. Yeah, actually, I um, grew up in a very uh, spiritually driven, driven family. We actually attended Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church in West Dayton. Um, just like here, uh, I'm in church every Sunday. I had no choice back then. I grew into it. My parents instilled a lot of those key, key values that, that were really important. And even today, I still, I still carry those out now. Yeah. And uh, we, as such, we've talked, this is Martin Luther King weekend. Uh, we've heard a lot about busing back in the day as a way to integrate communities. Yes. And uh, many of us heard about it, but you lived it. Tell us about that. Right. Uh, back in the late 70s, uh, I was in the seventh grade. Um, uh, back then, they started busing in uh, Fall of fall of '77, and I lived on on the west side. And back then, uh, we had it. Uh, they bused us to the east side of town. Uh, and the school that I attended there was Ruskin, uh, which is I think they're still around now. Uh, but yeah, I was there and um, had some had some challenges. You know, you know, during that period, a lot of racial tension in the Dayton area. Um, the one thing that sort of jumped out that I was sharing with Pastor Stan a, a, a few weeks back, our last day of school. Our last day of school, we had to have police escorts escort us back from the east side of town to the to the west side of town. That was a, a bit disturbing, but I think it, it, it really caused me to think about things now as I as I look back. And that was, uh, in my opinion, a strong foundation for us trying to move forward, grow as a community, grow as a city. Yeah. And if you're new to, to Greater Dayton, historically, although it's changing, if you either used I-75 or the Miami River as a dividing line. The near west side of town was primarily a black population. The near east side of town was white. Uh, you went back to your home school for a year and then had a choice in high school and chose to go back to the east side to Wilbur Wright. Or, uh, yeah, Wilbur Wright. Tell us about that. Yeah, Wilbur Wright, yeah. Actually, at that point in time, um, you had the, uh, well, they told you you had to go to that uh, bus school in high school for your first two years of high school, and you had the option to go back, go back to your home school. But during those first two years, my freshman and sophomore year, I really built a lot of strong roots, foundations, uh, relationships, and you know, academically, they were actually you know pre pretty tough, so it worked out well. So I ended up staying, staying there the, the entire four years, and it worked out pretty good for me. And uh, he had quite an illustrious time there. Uh, this past fall, Leon and I were talking to him, hey, boss, I need to be off Saturday night. Uh, Leon is our executive director here at CLC for about the past year and a half. And so there was a big event happening. We have a, we have a slide of that. He was inducted into the Wilbur, Hall, Wil Wilbur Wright Athletic Hall of Fame. And, uh, yeah, I think we have a shot of uh, Leon in all of his glory. And uh, there he is just dunking it like it's nothing. And he was all, all city, all team, all district, all kinds of honors there. Yeah. And guys, mind you, that picture is 40 years ago. Okay. So no one-on-one -on -one games this <laughs> afternoon after church. So uh, from there, I got a Fulbright scholarship to Niagara University, a D1 school. Tell us about that. How'd yeah. that go? Actually, it was a, I really had a 
really good uh, four years there. We had a we had a pretty good team o overall. Uh, actually, had a major major in marketing, minor in in computer science. It was a very very challenging school, good school, uh, small private school. And guys, if I had to do all over, I would go back to the same school. And uh, the next shot, the final shot, I think we have one. And I told the team yesterday, <laughs> I would not want to be in front of that guy going for the ball. So I just kind of <laughs> said, go right on ahead. Um, after Niagara, you jumped into your business career, yes. came back home to Dayton, mm -hmm. Standard Register, NCR. Right. Uh, that's when we got to be friends. And, uh, and we had a conversation about maybe being involved in ministry here at the church. Yes. And then NCR out of the plans. Exactly. That was, and actually, guys, right now, that, that was... 22 years ago, when we had when, uh, when we had, had that discussion, uh, to me, me and Pastor Sam were starting to spend a lot of time and meet, have lunch, breakfast, just to talk about CLC, where we were headed. And actually, it was on one particular morning we actually met for breakfast. He said, "Leon, I think it might be time for you to consider coming on board here here at CLC." I said, "Pastor, I'm really I'm really sorry to tell you, I just got a promotion to move out to the West Coast with with NCR, so uh, timing was off by 20 years. I, 20 I, years later, and I just got to <laughs> say, some people take a long time to hear the voice of God. <laughs> no, and guys, I can tell you right now, um, uh, as, I, as I've told uh, a lot of people that actually uh, that I talk to here, this is the first job that I've ever had where I feel like I have not come to work yet. This is a lifestyle. It's something that I love. I love doing, and I think it's, it's great uh, us, us working together trying to build and grow things. Yeah. So when we talk about racial reconciliation, Leon, what are your hopes uh, from where you sit for CLC and for our community? Yeah. I'm going to go back to that 1977 issue. I think during that period where we were, you know, going through, you know, busing, it was a period of, uh, of growth, and that was, I think, the foundation of starting um, uh, improving race relations Throughout, throughout the Dayton area. And applying that to, you know, CLC, we do a great job of um, uh, making people really feel invited, welcome. And my goal is to make sure that we continue as, as a church to make sure that everyone is represented here comfortably. Yeah. And really, yeah, you can applaud that. That, that doesn't just uh, begin and end with people that volunteer their time at the right. door uh, as a section leader in the VIP room. That's all of us yes. really are ambassadors for Christ and to do our part just with the people that are even seated around you. Uh, our next segment I know is dear to a lot of us, but why don't you go ahead and introduce it for us? Yeah, actually the song we're going to hear is something that I heard a whole lot uh, uh, growing up in my, in my younger days at Shiloh, Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Um, and this is a song that I think that really crosses a lot of racial barriers. Uh, the song is Because He Lives. Thank you. 
got to hear that today. I heard it in warm-ups, and I told Davida, could you sing that with a little passion? Uh, life is worth the living because he lives. And uh, on this Martin Luther King weekend, we want to go ahead and focus our attention as a nation is uh, to the issue of reconciliation together. And as, as a church, we have 10 core values, and I asked the team to put those on a slide. Uh, I'd like to read those core values and, uh, and if you want to do a deeper dive into them, you can go to our growth track class. It happens this hour every, every Sunday. Uh, or you can go to clcdayton.com. But let's toss that list up on the screen. Would you read this out loud with me? Becoming Christ-like, intimacy with God, authenticity, maximizing our potential, excellence in ministry, reconciliation, community, faith, relevance, and commissioned. And uh, as I said, you can do a deeper dive in those online, but we want to focus today appropriately on the value of ours of reconciliation. Here is how we tease that out uh, in our statement. We believe a right relationship with God is essential for achieving reconciliation, whether that be among family members, races, denominations, and beyond. 
And uh, the verses referenced there, 2 Corinthians, tells us that we are Christ's ambassadors. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. If anyone should be a reconciler, it's us. And Galatians chapter 3 kind of tells us that the, the dividing lines really in Christ are, should be uh, done away with between us. And uh, when we talk about reconciliation, to do a deeper dive into that word, it means to bring into agreement, into harmony, and to make compatible. And if you look at it further in the original language, reconciliation, neither party in the reconciliation is to be passive. It's an ongoing process. Would you say it's a process? And uh, there is a removal of guilt and shame from the relationship as that is worked out. When we talk about it being a process, I think back to in the early 90s, uh, a couple of churches we got together. It was Omega Baptist, Mount Calvary Baptist, and ourselves. We spent a weekend together on reconciliation. We invited Dr. John Perkins in, who was a contemporary of Martin Luther King. And we dealt with those issues, wrestled with them. And when it was done, we said, okay, now what? He said, you know what? You can have seminars and talks on reconciliation all you want. You have to live it out. So go ahead and do things together. Be involved together, reaching your community. And in that, while you're doing things together, you'll step on each other's toes. You'll bump into each other some. And that's where you have to refine things and grow together in your relationship. And we've really been doing that as a church really ever since. Uh, As far as reconciliation in the context of issues of race, uh, racism, as defined by the Anti-Defamation League, is the belief that a particular ethnicity is superior or inferior to another and that a person's social and moral traits are predetermined by his or her inborn biological characteristics. And uh, I'm going to be referencing some thoughts uh, by a gentleman named Miles McPherson. He wrote a book I recommend you get called The Third Option. Miles started out with a career with the Chargers in the NFL, went on for theological education and training, and is now the pastor of Rock Church in San Diego, California, one of the largest churches in the country. And uh, we get kind of sociological here and talk about racism. Uh, It is both what you do and feel in an active way, committing, but also racism can be wrapped up in what you don't do or don't feel, things that we omit. You might say, well, all this stuff about race, all this, it doesn't bother me, it's not affecting me, so we kind of back away. That can be a, a sin of omission just as much as there can be racist acts of commission. It's important to identify that race And the temptation to racism applies to people of every skin color. People with dark skin can be racist. People with light skin can be racist. And everywhere in between. It is a human condition. The Bible says that man, humanity, looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And in sort of sociological terms, uh, Miles talked about uh, in-groups and out-groups. And that's kind of how racism can play in. Uh, An in-group are those people uh, who are similar to me. And an outgroup is the people who are not similar to me, not like me. There can be all kinds of in-groups and out-groups. And we make assumptions, typically in our in-group, about our out-group. And uh, in-groups and out-groups, for instance, one group, an in-group that I am part of would be Browns fans. An out-group is Bengals fans. (laughs) We know Bengals fans are happy. My in-group, we are pessimistic and depressed, right? (laughs) But on a a more realistic note, um, you can have in-groups and out-groups based on gender, based on religion. It can be an in-group and out-group when it comes to your profession. It can be so when it comes to skin color. 
And so we're going to zoom in on skin color uh, this week. And uh, in-group is people like me. Out-group is people not like me. So my in-group would be people with skin color like me. My out-group would be not like me, darker. What's interesting uh, is when I talk about issues of race, and uh, when I use that phrase, I understand I am using a word that is not a biblical term. From a biblical perspective, there are not different races. There's one race, it's the human race. And from the one who created us, he made all of us, that it's clear because when you look at our genetic differences, when you look at the difference in skin tone, when you look at the difference of facial features, hair, body structure, whatever the case might be, those differences genetically uh, are less than one half of one percent, like two tenths of a percent different. We are 99.5 to 99.8 percent the same genetically with every person on the globe. So take a minute and just do some rubberneck and look to your left, to your right, and front, behind. Just look around at all the different people. It's less than a half of a percentage difference between you and them genetically. And yet, I'll quote Miles McPherson, every person in the world, you, me, and everyone we meet, are flawed human beings. Can I get an amen? With subconsciously biased tendencies toward those in our outgroup. Bias is just one of many manifestations of our fallen, imperfect natures. He goes on to cite that when it comes to whites, uh, 75% of whites, their entire social network is people of the same color, and people who are black, 66% of blacks, their entire, so, entire social network is people of the same color. So how can I realistically have accurate assumptions and biases or understandings about people in my skin color outgroup if everybody I talk to about my, those outgroups is of the same in-group that I am? You see the difficulty. Some of the assumptions or things that come with just being in in-groups and outgroups is I tend to be more patient with people like me. I give the benefit of the doubt quicker to people that are like me. We find it or assume it's easier to communicate with people who are like us. We're more willing to go out of our way to help those who are like us. And we possess a more positive assumption about people who are like us than we do about people who are in our out group. And so you've got lots of in and out groups. Begin to now test yourself and, okay, what do I assume about my in group, my out group? What things do I tell myself? What things just, what, what reactions just, just pop to the surface? in day-to-day life. And when it comes to terms of race, even though race is not a biblical phrase, we understand the, the cultural meaning of it. Let's, let's jump into the message. You can follow along on the app. Let's look at the Bible truth about all of us first. Bible truth about all of us. Okay, everything I just said, is that all a bunch of sociology or is it biblically based? Well, Genesis 1.27 is a verse that you've heard many times. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. The creator of the universe created us, and having created us, then blessed us as humanity and said, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. I grew up in church, as Leon did, and uh, when I was a kid, I learned a song. If you grew up in church, you might have le learned it too. And it's very simple. It says, 
Jesus loves the little children, right? Help me, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. They are what? Precious in his sight. Precious. Uh, we have baby dedications next week, and I will hold precious little ones, and we all smile in awe. They're created in God's image, regardless of skin tone. And from God's perspective, they do not cease to be precious. Every person around you, precious in his sight. May or may not have a relationship with them, and those who are far from him matter so much to God. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, while we didn't care at all about the one who considers us precious, Christ died for us. And I would suggest to you that it doesn't, it doesn't end that preciousness when they're babies or when they're kids. You could rewrite that and say, Jesus loves the older people. All the 65-year-old people in the world. Red and yellow, black and white, old people are precious in his sight. And everywhere in between. Do you look at people as precious you know, when I grew up, is it, are they, are they the, the fine china or the paper plate? Everybody in God's eyes is fine china. Everybody matters. And so if people matter to God, they should matter to us. Let's look at the if-then Bible truths about others. That will stir a thought in the mind of any computer programmers out there, if-then statements. Uh, and I am not trying to act like I'm a computer guy the last time I took a computer class was in my MBA in the 80s, and we used COBOL. It doesn't, I don't think, exist anymore. It's common business-oriented language trying to write a computer program, and the staff will laugh if you think I'm a tech guy. I can spell tech, all right? Beyond that, I know the names of people who can help me with tech. That's about how it goes, all right? But if-then statements, it's if this is true, then this is true. If this, then this. If this, then this. And I reference many times what I believe is the if-then will of God. Throughout Scripture, God often says, if you do this, then I'll do this. If you do this, then this will happen. And I believe God's will is responsive to our obedience or not. And so there is the if-then will of God. And so we're going to look at a passage, and if that passage is true, then the next one must follow. So here's the if passage in James chapter 2 says, if, everybody say if. if. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin. Ooh. If you treat the out group different than you treat your in group, you're committing sin. And you're convicted by the law as transgressors. So that law, that royal law, what's he talking about there? James is the half-brother of Jesus. He writes this five-chapter book and summarizes loads of Christ's teachings. And, and what did they say to Jesus? What are the greatest commandments? And Jesus said, well, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself, the royal law. So if that is true, that God created us in his image and that we are to love our neighbor as ourself, everybody say then. Then, then this is to be true. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. It does not say honor most people, 
Honor some people. Honor the people you like. Honor the people that you're familiar with. Honor the people that seem like you. No, it says honor all people. Would you just say everybody? And all of us have hard to honor, hard to love different people in our world. I bet I'm only human. Yeah, but we're supposed to be like Jesus. And so with that, the third thought is that racial unity is God's idea along with racial differences. And uh, not knowing where I was going, we, every Saturday afternoon, we do a run-through of all the slides and media and whatnot and verses. And the team said, you want us to take the quotes off of racial? I said, no, leave the quotes on there. They're there on purpose. Because racial is not a biblical term, but it's a cultural term. Again, as I said, God sees one race. It's a human race he created. God will tell you, you're 99.8% the same genetically. I use the same stuff to make all of you. And so let's look at God's perspective or God's intention. When we think of creation, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I have three things to illustrate it. There's a bouquet. God created a bouquet, M&M's, Skittles universe. Think about it. I mean, that bouquet is pretty in part because of just all the colors and how the bright ones go with the dark ones and, and, and it's all put together in the same place. In fact, the, the, the glass is, says faith, family, and friends. How appropriate is that? And then M&M's. Who doesn't like M&M's? And I can already see uh, there's red ones and yellow ones. Uh, there's, there we go. Get down. Because oh. see, I started my Daniel fast early. And so I feel <laughs> no guilt. That was a yellow one. Red and yellow. Brown and two blues make a white. <laughs> you know what I'm doing? I love, I love, anybody else love peanut M&Ms? Oh, my goodness. If I had a cup of coffee, it'd be perfect, all right? It's like dessert. What I'm doing for some of you is I'm creating a craving. When you're off the fast tomorrow... You're going to buy M&M's. Oh. That was God's idea. I mean, you zoom out to the globe, and people of all different skin tones and facial and body features, he created a bouquet. He wanted it to be a Skittles universe, a Skittles world. How it must break his heart when somehow these turn against each other. When they don't love each other. That was his design. You guys are paying attention so well. Somebody have Skittles. All right. <laughs> Share. All right. So with that said, let's make three honoring assumptions. I'm going to first and kind of suggest these. And it's been interesting to me uh, this past week, having put this sermon together, knowing this is what's coming, so I've got to jump on everybody. And so trying to keep this at the forefront, and, and the, 
just the nuanced difference it's made already in my week. Here are three assumptions that I challenge you to make toward every person you come in contact with, every person you see. And, you know, in preparing a service and a message and whatnot, I and we will often ask, well, what do we want to accomplish out of this? I mean, reconciliation is a process, and if there is ever a time there needs to be reconciliation between people of different skin tones in our nation, it's now. The divide is getting greater. The hurts and the wounds and the hostilities just seem to be growing every day. And so learning that, okay, if, if it's a process, this is one day, one sermon, one weekend. My hope would be that we plant enough seeds that if the 2,000 people who will hear this message this weekend will begin to practice it. If 2,000 of us go into a community like Dayton, Greater Dayton, we can be salt. We are the salt of the earth. We can, we can help to nuance the flavor of our community this week. And I find it's contagious when you treat someone this way. It can, people can catch on to that and kind of reciprocate. And so who knows what kind of an impact we can have over time. So here are the three assumptions that I would suggest that you make, three honoring assumptions toward every person that you encounter. Number one, we're going to put on the screen, would you read this out loud with me? That person's life is an unfolding story that God is still working on. Philippians 1.6 puts it this way. I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Yeah, well, if they're not a Christian yet, all the more so. Every person you see, their life is a story that God is still writing. Their life is still unfolding. And if they're not a Christian yet, guess what? God sees them as precious and lost and wants them to come to him. And who knows if God's intention isn't for you to help write that story, to help influence them and honor them into the kingdom. Every person you come in contact with, their life is unfolding and God wants to see it go for good, and you play a role in that. I don't care if you work with them, if you're the next door to them, or if they are just the waiter or waitress who will wait on you this afternoon when you stop for lunch. Every person, their life is a story that's unfolding. The second thought, would you read this with me? They want their story. They want their story to end positively. I haven't met one person yet who says, you know, I hope my life is just a train wreck. <laughs> right? No, they want it to end positively. They're hoping for that. And some people, boy, it feels like life is falling apart or it's too far gone. Yeah, but that first in Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new and continue to become new. As long as you're alive, it's not too late. And if they want their life to end positively, Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So maybe you're, all your desires are fulfilled, and hey, you're fat, dumb, and happy. Yeah, but what about those who, who are heart sick? What about those whose hopes are deferred? How can God use you to help write the story in their life that may be disadvantaged or struggling? And then the third, the third assumption, would you read this with me? They will respond positively as I communicate honorably. Yeah, but if they're really different from you, we tend to kind of gravitate away from people who are a lot unlike us. 
but make the assumption. And that assumption really is at the heart of Jesus. He told us to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Not do unto others as they deserve, do unto others as they treat you. No, and one way to do unto others, man, I hope that everybody will, will communicate honorably with me. Proverbs 15.1 puts it this way. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So as you walk into every situation this week, wherever you go out to eat or wherever you go shopping, wherever you go to work, wherever you buy your gas or your coffee, your neighborhood, whatever sports you play, whether you're on the court or in the bleachers, everybody around you, in your in-group, in your out-group, learn to remind yourself that each person's life is an unfolding story. I wonder if they've hit square one where they know God yet. Each person's life is an unfolding story, and they want their story to end positively. And I can communicate honorably with them regardless of how they communicate with me. And it's difficult for us if we are isolated into our in-groups to make that kind of connection. I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, as far as me, it probably doesn't surprise you, but I have always been white. <laughs> My whole life. And I don't know what it is to always be black your whole life. I use those terms loosely in a sociological way. I, I have some understanding of what it's like because God has blessed me with loads of friends throughout the years and partner pastors and, and coworkers that their skin's a lot darker than mine. And so having trust established. I've had loads of deep dive conversations with what's it like and what's it been like for you and what's your, what's your feeling about people like me and what goes good, what doesn't go good. And so we've had, we've had those deeper dives. And each of us, whether you have the opportunity for that conversation, can at least kind of anticipate what it must be like. And, you know, all of us have stereotypes of other people. Can I get an amen? No, we just do. All right? And so I can ask myself, okay, what... What do a lot of people think 65-year-old white guys must be like? All right? And so if they're younger, they think like, no, oh, that guy, he's not going to, whatever, you know, or, or if their skin's darker or light, whatever. And so, I don't know, I try to go through life, and when I encounter people, I, I like to dismantle uh, any stereotypes they might have about 65-year-old white guys. And so how can you dismantle when you approach people or interact with people or they, you work with them or you live by them or they wait on you or whatever and they're in your out group, how can you connect with them in a way that it helps to tear down stereotypes and it helps to build bridges and it helps to increase understanding and it helps to write the story that God is writing in their life in a constructive way? Why do you suppose God has you come across their path or be in their life in the first place? I doubt God puts you in their life because he wants to use you to frustrate them. Or probably to bring, bring connection and compassion and healing. And so that's, that's it, those three things. We leave here today, the 2,000 of us that have seen, heard this message, and we have a resolve. Okay, I'm going to look at every person and understand that their life is an unfolding story that God's working on. And I've got a part in that. I'm gonna, every person I see, I'm going to realize they want their story to end positively. 
and every person I interact with that I'm going to assume they'll respond positively if I communicate honorably. And maybe they won't, but I'm going to assume they do. If that happens, that can make a difference. 2,000 people times how many interactions we have at a time all day long, today, tomorrow, the day after, the day after. So I want to challenge you to say yes to that. And Miles McPherson wrote a pledge that I like. Uh, kind of goes along with this. So I'm going to ask you to read this pledge. It's kind of long. And, and I appreciate you kind of reading those statements out loud, but you just validated to me that we just read better out loud standing up. So would you please stand? And would you read this with a sense of commitment today? God has given me his image. It's eternal. It's alive. And it comes with responsibilities. He has also given this same image to every other person in the world. His image in me directs me to acknowledge and honor itself in every person I meet. I will look for God's image in others. I will honor it as eternally valuable. Isn't that a great pledge? We can do that. Can you sense the difference that will make, just if nothing else, in you and other people? Now have a seat for a second, because having just said that pledge, to those of you that are here, and our studies show 5 to 10% of us aren't Christians yet, I would suggest that it's, it's impossible to go very far for that unless you first start, the first step of reconciliation is being reconciled to God. When I read the statement of our values, it says under reconciliation, we believe that a right relationship with God is essential for achieving reconciliation. Got to start this way. And then that verse says that God's given us the ministry of reconciliation. I remember when I was a staff person, I spent 10 to 12 hours a week just counseling people, uh, using my educational background in that. And whenever I was sitting with a couple that had a train wreck of a marriage and they didn't know Christ yet, I was most optimistic. Because if they could come to Christ during that process, it just made their chance of success skyrocket because all of a sudden they became new creatures and they had been given the, the ministry of reconciliation and God did amazing things. If you're here today and you don't know Christ and you're looking at relationships that are strained, reconciliation needs to happen in your life in different outgroups or people that are out people, let me encourage you first and foremost, say yes to Christ because he will give you the ministry of reconciliation. If you're a Christian and you've kind of gotten closed in in your in-group and reconciliation, you just kind of blow that off. Boy, boy, pray for God to kind of open your heart and your eyes to how he wants to use you in other people's stories. I'm asking you to bow your heads with me for a moment. And if you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ, but you need to be first and foremost reconciled to God. I encourage you to make today, Martin Luther King weekend, 2022, this Sunday, the day that you surrender to Jesus, that you cross that line and become a Christian and allow him to empower you to be a reconciler. And that begins with a simple prayer. And I would suggest a prayer that you pray quietly in your heart right at this moment, something like this. Dear Jesus, I, I thank you for what you did dying on a cross for my sins. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. Today I surrender my life to you. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. And while I don't fully understand what that means, 
from this day forward. Help me to grow to know you, to love you and serve you, and follow you the rest of my life. Thank you for hearing me. In your name I pray. And Lord, we pray for those now and all weekend long who've been praying that prayer of surrender, of asking you to be their Lord and Savior. The first step is to be reconciled to you. Lord, draw them close. Let them know your love and your peace. And then use them in the ministry of reconciliation. And for all of us, God, that feels like a tall task in a nation that is so torn and filled with strife. But we believe that together you can do that. We believe, Lord, that you can empower us through your Holy Spirit, and you have given us the ministry of reconciliation. Use every one of us to consider CLC to be our church home, not only to make this a place of reconciliation, but now to go from here and be reconcilers in our world. In your name we pray. Stand together with us and let this closing song be your prayer. It sounds like an impossible task, but we believe for it.
close in a moment of prayer if you'd bow your heads with me. And before I lead us, I can't really pray from your heart. First of all, who is your in-group racially? White? Black? Hispanic? Asian? Arab? Ask the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your heart on what you tell yourself about your outgroups. What attitudes are there? What presets? What do you tell yourself whether you consciously say it about those people? Maybe pray a prayer of forgiveness, repentance. Pray for a heart of compassion, a heart to honor. Pray for God to open the eyes of your heart and remind you of these assumptions with every person you see. Take a moment and ask for that and I'll close. Heavenly Father, how it must break your heart. You created a bouquet, M&M, Skittle kind of world. And we separate and divide and judge. Forgive us for the ways that we contribute to that. And instead, Lord, I ask that you reveal to us the true nature of the unalienable image that you have given us and every person around us. We're mindful that 1 Samuel says, those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Lord, we want to be people of honor. Lord, start a movement of honor from us in every relationship, every encounter, every person that we meet. Lord, let CLC be a place where every person who steps in these doors is honored as someone created in the image of God. But Lord, not just inside these walls, help us to be salt out of the salt shaker across greater Dayton. And help us to realize every person we encounter is someone whose life is an unfolding story that you're working on. They want their story to end positively, and they'll respond positively as we communicate to them honorably. And Lord, we ask that, that you fill our hearts with the love of the Father. It's in your name we pray, and everyone said, Amen.